see if we can make a little more progress on this lesson we started last week. So if you would turn with me to our text, Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 and beginning with verse number 6. Proverbs 2 and verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, preserveth the way of his saints. And shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. And wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant to thy soul. Discretion shall preserve thee, and understanding shall keep thee. To deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, Forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. So tonight we are continuing with part two of this lesson that I have titled Guarding Against Immorality. Guarding Against Immorality. Amen. And um, again tonight, I'm not expecting folks to run the aisles, but I would appreciate a few amens once in a while at least. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's put our Bibles down, let's lift our hands, lift our voices, let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. I need His touch tonight. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord together right now, can we? Let's talk to the Lord. name. Could we just praise him one more time, everybody? Let's praise the Lord together. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Master. God, I give you praise. I give you praise. 
Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me do just a very brief review here tonight. Now, we showed you last week, according to Proverbs chapter 6, that there is a lasting reproach that comes as a result of sexual immorality. It's not a sin that cannot be forgiven. There's only one sin that cannot be forgiven. This is not it. However, the Bible does let us know that it is worse than just any other sin. It does let us know that there is a pain and a devastation and a grief and a shame associated with this that will last a lifetime. It just doesn't let go. And furthermore, it goes far beyond just the heart of the one who's committing this sin. It runs much deeper than that and is much more serious than that. In fact, Solomon said, none that go unto her return again. If I could explain that in a spiritual regard, the fact is you never come back the same. You're not the same person. There are things that will haunt you and plague you that you just can't get away from. Yes, you can be forgiven. Thank God you can be forgiven. Thank God you can be forgiven. But there are consequences that will follow. Furthermore, when a child of God falls prey to this sin. They are opening the door of the church to a spirit of immorality that will sweep through the congregation. I'm telling you that what you do in those moments carries a far bigger impact than just something you can come to an altar and say, God, forgive me, and it's all in the past. And so that's one of the reasons why the enemy will attack every church. He will try to find an inroad into the heart of somebody that's not strong enough to withstand. He's looking for a way in. Now listen, Jesus said the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. But I want to tell you what can prevail against the church is the church itself. We can destroy ourselves. 
If we will stand united as an assembly and fight against this spirit, we can defeat it. But the moment that one individual gives in, I'm telling you the attack intensifies. And it is a major battle. To get it out of a church. And if God forbid the leader ever falls prey. The gates are opened wide. And I'm telling you it becomes an extremely difficult task. To get that spirit out of that country. So I'm saying to you tonight that what's got to happen and the reason why I'm taking time to teach on this subject is because everybody that's a part of this church has got to make up your mind right now. This is one thing I will not yield to. I will not. Don't get it in your mind that it will never affect you or your family. That's what the devil wants you to think so you'll drop your guard. And I'm telling you that every one of us have got to make up our minds right here, right now, that this is one spirit we refuse to give an inch to. And that's whether physically or emotionally or visually. You know, when I started training many years ago for the the marriage uh, courses that my wife and I taught for so long, I, I encountered a phrase that I don't think I'd ever heard Uh, Before that, but but I've come to understand it's a very real thing. And that is, I I began to read about people who were caught up in emotional affairs. It had never become physical, but emotionally they were making a connection. Generally, it leads from emotional to physical. And so that's why we've got to be on guard against even the emotional side of this. I'm I'm, I'm working my way through. Started last week and we're going to continue tonight. Giving you some steps some things you can do to guard against it. But let me just throw this out there right now. Number one, get control of your thoughts. And don't confide your emotions in a member of the opposite sex. Don't do it. Unless it's your wife or your husband. Don't. Do it. The 
So we started giving you, as I said, we started giving you some principles of protection last week. And, and um, we went through three of these. And I'll just remind you what they were. Number one is love God. Fall deeply in love with the master. We talked about how that was the only thing that kept Joseph. He didn't, he didn't even have scriptures to tell him not to do it. It was just his love for God that kept him in the hour of temptation. And if you'll fall in love with God enough, there will be something in your heart and in your spirit that says, I cannot sin against God like this. Number two, learn to use the word. And we talked about different ways that you can use the word. First, of course, is the way Jesus used it in quoting Scripture to the devil. That means that you're going to have to know some Scripture you can quote. But also by remembering some scriptural promises, such as, this is common. You're not the only person to experience this temptation. And others before you have overcome it, and others after you will overcome it, and you can too. And secondly, this is temporary. Any temptation is only temporary. And if you can get control of the moment, you can control your response. It will pass if you'll take control of the moment. Then number three was to stay busy for God. We talked about how David was idle when he fell into adultery. He should have been out fighting and he wasn't. And so find ways to stay busy about God's business. Teach some Bible studies. Knock some doors. Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Call and text other members of the church. Listen to me. An idle mind, this is not Bible, but it's true. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. And the more free time you've got, the more the devil will cause your thoughts to go down the wrong path. So find ways to get involved in God's work. Find ways to get involved in the kingdom of God. Do something to stay busy for God. All right, now those were the three that we covered last week. And so this week, we are, we are moving ahead now. Number four. Number four, and these are all very simple. There's nothing profound in any of this. These are all very simple. Number four is keep your integrity. Keep your integrity. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 says this. The just man walketh in his integrity. And his, his children are blessed after him. Now, I want you to remember, we've talked about before, but it's been a while, what integrity is. 
Integrity is doing right when no one is watching. That's integrity. It's doing what's right even when nobody sees. When you think you could get by with it, when you think nobody's going to catch you and you still choose to do right, that's integrity. And this is something you need to do. And let me just tell you, you need to hold fast to your integrity in every area of your life, both big and small. And here's why. People who sear their conscience in one arena of life set themselves up for battles with a weakened constitution in another. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Righteousness in everything has to be our breastplate, what keeps our heart. If you're willing to just tell a few little lies, you're willing to just stretch the truth here or there, I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up. You're willing to cheat just a little bit. You're willing to be just a little dishonest. Please hear me. You start searing your conscience. This is why I've had people come to me and say, you know, I, I feel bad about doing this, but I don't really see any scripture for it. And, and I'll, I'll tell them, one of the things that I'll tell them, and many of you can testify to this because this is the advice I've given you. I don't ever like anybody to go against their conscience. If your conscience says don't, my advice is don't. There may not be a scriptural reason. There may not be anything behind it. But I'm just telling you, it's a dangerous, slippery slope the moment you start violating your conscience. You know, you just fudge a little bit on your time clock at work. You, um, well, I could go down a lot of roads right now. but I think you get the point. When you start being just a little unrighteous, it's hard to stop that. It becomes an avalanche. Just set up some integrity. Let me tell you what happened. This is, a, this is a heathen king. A man that did not even serve God. But God did something for this man. And he did it for a reason. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 6. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld, from, I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now, this man, King Abimelech, had taken Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And Abraham had 
stretch the truth a little bit. Well, I don't know. I mean, he didn't really stretch the truth. He just shaded the truth. He said, she's my sister. And that was true. A little disgusting if you ask me, but it was true. I'm just being honest. She was a half-sister. So I guess you could call that a half-truth. Whatever it was, Abimelech took her, honestly believing this was Abraham's sister. But God stopped him from committing adultery with her. And God said to this heathen king, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. God says, I know you didn't think you were sinning. And that's why I kept you from sinning. Church, if God would do that for a heathen king, don't you think he would do that for his children? But here's the key. We're going to have to show God we've got integrity in our heart. We're going to have to live in such a way that God can say that about us. And then I believe He will step in and keep us from certain things. On the other hand, I'm telling you that our lives can become so crass before God that God actually uses immorality as a punishment to get them out. Let, let, me, let me show you. I'm, I'm going to give you Bible for this. Proverbs 22 verse 14. Listen to this. The mouth of strange women is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. He that is abhorred or hated by the Lord shall fall therein. Now that's not saying that everybody who falls into that is hated by God. Please don't try to make the reverse true. What it's saying is that you can reach a place in your life that God is so angry with you that He will make sure you fall into that. In fact, several years ago, I got a call about a man. They said, did you hear about so-and-so? I said, what, what happened? And they began to tell me how he had fallen into adultery. And immediately, two verses of Scripture came to my mind. And one was, these six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. The Bible says God hates that. And then as soon as that thought came into my mind, the second one was this. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. And I believe the Lord let me know the problem with that man is he became lifted up in pride. And God set him up. So 
I'm just telling you, saints of God, we can reach a place that either God sees we've got integrity and He keeps us from sin, or He sees that there are things we're doing that He hates and He sets us up for sin. Now, I want to live my life in such a way that God will keep me from sin. So number four is keep your integrity. Maintain your integrity before God. In everything. Not just in, in the area of immorality. But in every area of your life. Maintain your integrity. And then number five. Use your mind. Use your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down Listen to this. Casting down. Everyone say casting down. Casting down. That's active. That's not passive. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Now, now what do we know about God? What do we know first and foremost about God? One. Well, He is one, but there's, there is another principle about His characteristic. What do we know about Him? Holy. That He is holy. That's God's premier characteristic. He is holy above all else. Now, I'm telling you, every high thing that exalts itself against our knowledge of Him, what would that be? That would be thoughts of unholiness. What do we do with those thoughts? Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm telling you that what you've got to do is you've got to actively change what you're thinking about. Yes, sir. And you can do that. You can make your mind start thinking other thoughts. There are ways to do it. We'll talk about some of those in a few moments. But I mean, let's face it, you can pick up your Bible, start reading, and change your thoughts. You can start singing a good hymn and change your thoughts. You can pick up the phone and call somebody and change your thoughts. There are ways you can do this, and you've got to do it. If you struggle with thoughts of immorality, you've got to learn to cast down imaginations and bring your thoughts into captivity. Yes, sir. I heard a man say one time that as a young boy, he had been involved with pornography. And he said, I can't help it. The images are still in my mind. And sometimes at random moments, those pictures will come back into my mind. He said, I have to learn. He said, what I will do is I will start thinking about what Calvary must have looked like. And I'll get a vision of Christ on the cross. And I'll make my mind go to that picture instead. 
church, I'm telling you, you can take control of your thoughts. You don't have to keep dwelling on impure thoughts. They might come into your mind randomly, but you don't have to keep letting your mind go down that path. Because listen to me, you cannot dwell on impure thoughts without it affecting your actions. Proverbs 23 verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, as he thinketh in his heart, so is so he. is he. Do you hear what the wise man said? Whatever you think about is what you're going to become. Right, right. You will act on those thoughts at some point. You dwell on them, you will act on them. Right. Someone once said, "Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit." Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. And it all begins with a thought. I contend we can control our thoughts. And I believe that I have grounds for that contention. Based on Philippians 4, verse 8. Read. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things, whatsoever are, things true, are true, whatsoever things, whatsoever are, things honest, are honest, whatsoever, whatsoever things, are just, things are just, whatsoever things, whatsoever things, are, pure, things are pure, whatsoever things, whatsoever things, are, lovely, things are lovely, whatsoever things, whatsoever things are, of good report, are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think now that sounds to me like the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Spirit knew we could choose what we're going to think about. Think on these things. Praise God. Now I want to tell you another thing that will help you control your thoughts is if you'll control your eyes. Psalm 101 verse 3 says this. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Now look, we can't help what passes by us walking down the street. You go into Walmart, you don't know what you're going to see. Anymore, you go anywhere, you don't know what you're going to see. You just don't know. Modesty is just a thing of the past. And you can't help what just walks in front of you. But here's what the psalmist said. I will set no wicked thing. I can't help what just crosses my path. But I can help what I bring into my path. Praise God. When you get on your phone or on your computer or your tablet, you've got to remember, I'm not going to choose to look at something I didn't want to look at or that God doesn't want me to look at. If God calls it wicked, I don't want to look at it. 
I will not set it in front of my eyes. Well, you see, the eye is the window of the soul. And I'm going to teach a whole lesson just on this subject at some point in the future as a part of this whole series. We'll teach an entire lesson just on guarding your eyes. But listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness. So here's what the Bible tells us. The light of the body is the eye. What determines whether there's light in your soul or not is your eye. What you choose to look at. You're either putting light or darkness into your body, into your spirit, into your soul, all based on what you're viewing. You know, we need to, we need to be like Job. And again, I'll teach a whole lesson on this. So I'm going to just touch on this and then I'm moving on. But we need to be like Job in this regard Job 31 verse 1 says this. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Job said this. I know what my eyes cause me to do. I know the thoughts that come into my mind if I let my eyes wander. Therefore, I made a covenant with my eyes. I've just determined my eyes won't look at some things. You know, a covenant is a, is, a, is a spiritual contract. So I, I've, I've got a contract with my eyes. Between me, my eyes, and God. But there, my eyes will not look at whatever God would not want them looking at. We need to be willing to make that kind of covenant. I'm telling you, it's difficult in this day and age because it's being thrown at us everywhere we go. You drive down the road, it's on billboards. You get on social media and ads come up. I'm just telling you tonight, you got to make a covenant with your eyes that my eyes are simply not going to look at some things. They just won't. Because I'm not giving in to this spirit. I'm not giving in to this temptation. And so I won't let my mind go there. And to help my mind not go there, I won't let my eyes go there. So let's talk a little bit more about using your mind. Let's talk a little bit more about using your mind. Here's a way you can use your mind to fight this. You ought to make a list of what this sin would cause you to lose. Now, you can't wait until you're in 
the passion of the moment to start trying to make this list. You need to have this list ahead of time. What's it going to cost me? Here are the things you could lose. First of all, you could lose your soul. Because it's possible that you never recover spiritually. Some do, and thank God for those who do. But many don't. You could lose your soul. Number two, you could lose your self-respect. Your ability to look at your own face in the mirror. Knowing what you've done. And you could lose the respect of others if they find out. Because listen to me, I don't care what the world says, not everybody's doing it. Next, you could lose your family. And possibly cause them to be lost. If it's a co-worker you get involved with, you could lose your job. And very possibly any type of decent future because it goes on your record. Look, church, you've got to stop and think about these things. If this is something you struggle with, I'm telling you, don't just think about this list. Write it down. And when temptation comes, get it out. And read the list again. Is it really going to be worth this? Because I'm here to tell you, it's not. I've dealt with people who have had to try to pick up the pieces of their life. It's not worth it. And there's one more thing. You need to keep in mind the fact that if you give in, you might very well be guilty of another tragedy David was guilty of. Let's read 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. Howbeit, because by this deed thou by, hast... Now listen to, what, listen to what he was told. David, because of this act of adultery, what did you do? Thou hast given great You've occasion... You've given great occasion... To the enemies, to of, the the Lord, enemies to, of the Lord... To blaspheme. to blaspheme. Now listen, people are looking for anything they can yes. throw against a Christian anyhow. They want to find something wrong with Christians' lives so they can say, see, they're no different than I am. I don't need what they've got. It's all fake. That's what they're looking for. They're going to say it regardless, but God forbid that we give them reason to think that. And God said to David, this is the reason that this child is going to die. Because you've given a reason to the enemies of God to blaspheme. You've given them cause to speak evil of the people of God. 
And it's going to cost you, David. I can't be forceful enough in explaining to you how serious this is. And how much you've got to be on guard against it. So you got to cast down imaginations. What else do you have to do? Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. Paul said cast down. Here's what Peter says. Wherefore gird up the Lord. Gird up. Mind. Cast down and gird up. Read. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient tri- children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And so here's what he said. Gird up the loins of your mind. We talked about this. I, 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 I think Sunday morning when I was teaching on prayer. We talked about what it means to gird up. We talked about the, the, the loose flowing robes that they wore. And, and when, it, when it became battle time. Uh, or, or they had to run for whatever reason. They would, they would reach between their legs and grab the backside. Of that, of that robe and pull it up and tuck it into their belt and basically turn their robe into pants. And it allowed them to be able to run or fight or whatever without tripping over their robes. And this is what Peter's telling us. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get everything that's loose flowing out there and tuck it in. Get ready to fight. Or get ready to run. Paul told Timothy, flee, run from youthful lusts. To put it into today's vernacular, he's saying, man, run for your life. Because your life is at stake, Timothy. Your spiritual life is at stake. Run from it. Don't hang around it. There's another list you ought to make. Make a list of the unbelievable damage, shame, grief, and pain that immorality would bring to God. Would bring to both families. Would bring to the church. That's locally. And I'm telling you, in some cases, even the kingdom globally. Think about the damage, the shame, the grief, the pain that it would bring to the other saints of God as their confidence is destroyed. Think about how it would affect your friends who look up to you right now. Though they may not say it verbally, I'm telling you, 
if you're really living a Christian life in front of them, they do admire you no matter how much they attack you. Just let one of them get in serious trouble and wait and see if they don't come ask you to pray. But do you know what this would do to them in shaking their confidence? How will this affect sinners? We've discussed that already, but think about when they see this happen, they say, I don't need the church. And of course, think about the damage, the shame, the grief, the pain it would bring to you. And to the person with whom you commit the sin. Because let's think about it. If the person you get involved with is not in the church, what are the chances of them ever being saved? You most likely have destroyed any hope that they would ever believe there's anything to this experience. And if they are in the church, you may very well cause them to live a life of torment in their minds. We've got to, we've got to stop and think about these things, church. We've got to give consideration to this. If you're married, let me just tell you. You know, last week I, I said I wanted to give some special Instructions to the single young people. Let me talk just a few moments very openly, frankly, to the married couples. One of the greatest things you can do to protect yourself is to love your spouse. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. I'm telling you, you need to keep your marriage in as perfect condition as possible. And notice I didn't say perfect. I said in as perfect condition as possible. It's always going to be a work. It's always going to require effort. But you've got to put forth that effort. And you've got to invest that work. Use every negative situation as a format to build a better relationship. In other words, learn from past mistakes. Don't keep repeating them. If you know something gets on your spouse's last nerve, then quit doing it. We live in such a selfish, self-centered world that the attitude of so many is, well, they just need to get used to it. This is who I am. Well, let me say this as kindly as I can. Who you are probably needs to change. Well, thank you for the two amens.
It is the truth. You've got to make it work. You've got to make it work. Well, you need to pray for God to put a deep love in your heart for your spouse. I remember years ago, a woman uh, in, our, in our home church where I grew up, her husband for many years was extremely abusive to her. Physically abusive. Verbally, mentally abusive. And she testified years later. He ended up getting in the church and, and, and changing his life. But she told people, she said, I'm telling you, I would have to pray, God, please help me love this man because I don't love him anymore. Help me love him. Please, God, put a love back in my heart for him. And God did. And he came into the church as a result. I'm telling you, no matter what you're going through, you can ask God to do that for you. And you need to. You need to stay in love with each other. You need to work at good communication. Please notice I put in the adjective good. Because communication is not always a problem. Sometimes there's a whole lot of communication. Very loud, very forceful communication. I know none of you, but remember there are people listening online, so I have to include them as well. As... as Elder Westberg once said, he said, he said, me and Sister Westberg were driving down the road and we were having a moment of intense fellowship. <laughs> and uh, they, they had a special needs daughter, Marjorie, and said after a while, Marjorie leaned up and said, let the peace of God rule. <laughs> I'm telling you, there are times of intense fellowship. So you got to work at good communication. You need to pray for wisdom and understanding for both you and your spouse. Not just God help her to understand me. Help me to understand her. I know, I know, I know. I've I've heard I've heard the joke too. Man who found the bottle on the beach, cleaned it up, and the genie popped out. And he said, "Look, I know I normally grant three, but you only get one." And the man thought about it a while, and he said, "You know," he said, "What I'd like 
I've never been to Hawaii, and I'm afraid of boats and afraid of planes. He said, I, I'd, like, I'd like for you to build a bridge that stretches from the mainland of America to Hawaii. And the genie said, man, that's, no, that's too much. He said, I can't do it. No way. That's just, that's asking too much. He said, let's, let's try something else. The guy thought for a while. I said, I know. He said, help me to understand my wife. The genie said, do you want that bridge two lane or four lane? <laughs> now, that's a joke. That's a joke. So I'm, I'm not telling you that's the way it is. But you need to pray for God to help you to understand. I, I, I knew a couple that when, when she was expecting their first child and experiencing morning sickness, he kept telling her, this is all fake. This is, you are just, you're making this up. You're not really sick. And she prayed and said, God, would you please let him feel what I'm feeling? And God heard her prayer. And after a few days of it, he decided she wasn't faking. Now, I'm not telling you to pray that kind of prayer. But I am saying you need to pray for God to help you understand your spouse. As much as you pray for God to help them understand you. Let me tell you something else, married couples. Listen to the inner radar that God has put in your spouse's heart. It's easy to just say, well, you're just jealous. You're just jealous. But let me tell you, love has a way of creating that jealousy. And maybe there's good reason. Maybe they're seeing something you're not. Don't just slough it off when they tell you, you know, I don't really like the way she looks at you. Don't just push that aside. Well, you need to learn your spouse's emotional needs and work at meeting those needs. Now, in, in our marriage course that we taught, uh, not this last one, but the one we taught many, many times, we recommended a book entitled His Needs, Her Needs, written by Dr. Willard Harley. Um, Dr. Harley, th this book has been out for many, many, many years. Uh, I think, in fact, I want to say that I even saw like a 20th anniversary. I mean, it's, it's been out for a long time. Uh, maybe 10th, but I think 20th. It's just, it's been around for a long time. But Dr. Harley actually did extensive studies. I, I want to say something like 10,000 couples. Asking them, what do you really need out of a marriage? What do you need? And basically, he said, out of all of those, he narrowed it all down to ten things. 
But what amazed him was there were five that were almost always at the top of the woman's list. Which were almost always at the bottom of the man's list. And the five that were at the top of the man's list were almost always at the bottom of the woman's list. And he said he started realizing that the reason couples don't stay in love is because they start out trying to meet the need that they want met, thinking that's what their spouse needs. And they're not really meeting their spouse's needs at all. Because that's not at the top of their spouse's list. Now, I'll go through these very, very quickly. I, obviously, I don't have time to teach this. It took us eight weeks to go through that course when I taught it the last time. But I'll go through the list, and it'll be on the recording. And again, I said last week, I say again this week, this is, this is a series you need to just download from the website for free and, and keep it. Mark it, keep it. If you don't need it right now, you may very well need it at some point. But, but if you'll do that, if you'll download it, you can pause it and write these things down. So don't, don't worry about not listening right now so you can write them down. I'm going to go through them way too fast for you to get them written down. Get it off the website. But he said, he said that the top five things a woman needs is... Affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. Now, not everyone, I mean, this, this is a blanket statement, so that's not going to fit every single woman. But in general, the vast majority of these 10,000 that he interviewed, this was at the top of their list of things they need from a man. They need affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. For the man, the five things that he said he needs the most, sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, and admiration. Again, you can go to the website, download the message, copy those ten things down. The best thing to do would be to go buy Dr. Harley's book and read it for yourself. I will caution you in reading it. There's one thing that just frustrated the life out of me. And, and that was that in every chapter, somebody, he, he tells real stories. He is a counselor. But in every chapter, somebody commits adultery. And you just get tired of everybody failing. And he tells the stories to prove a point, but still, you just I'm just telling you now, it just gets tiring to me. Uh, but he makes some very, very valid points that I've found after almost 40 years of pastoring, I, I don't know that there's really anything in the book with which I disagree. That's saying a lot. 
So you, you would be well served, married couples, to have this book in your library and, and read through it together. In fact, one of the things that when we went through the course, we recommended was that you get a, a, a pink and, what was it? Blue. Pink and blue highlighter. And as you read the book, when there's a statement that really stands out to you, is really important to you, if you're the wife, highlight it in pink. If you're the husband, highlight it in blue. So that as the other spouse reads, then they know this was important to my spouse. So, just a recommendation there. I'm not always recommending books, and you know that, but this is one I can recommend. Um, the next thing, and I'm still talking to married couples, and, and then I'm going to move off of this. I've got just a few minutes left here. But, but married couples, listen, be totally, even painfully honest with God with yourself, and with your spouse concerning all of your feelings and motives. Be painfully honest. If you're struggling with something, be honest about it. Tell them. Well, hallelujah. And then don't be ashamed to tell God every feeling, every fear, every desire, every fault, every failure that you have because God knows it already. But tell Him, admit it to Him and ask for His help. Alright, so now let me, we've talked to young people last week, we've talked to married couples this week. Let me just throw out a few things for everybody. You need to establish some principles that will govern your life, whether single or married. You need to set and keep a protection plan that would make it extremely difficult for you to fall. You want to know what some of those things ought to be in your plan? I'll tell you. First of all, never be alone with a member of the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Don't ever be alone. Many of you will know when, when, when a woman comes in for counsel, if she steps to my office door, that door is going to remain open and I'm going to say, wait until I can go get my wife. We're not going in that office to talk privately. It's just not going to happen. You say, well, you don't trust her. No, no, no. It's not a matter of me not trusting her. Number one, it's a matter of don't let your good be evil spoken of. Number two, it's a matter of abstain from the very appearance of evil. So don't ever, ever, ever Allow yourself to just be alone with a member of the opposite sex. 
is don't do it. Set that as one of your own personal rules. Now let me tell you something. You know, Jesus said to the devil during his time of temptation, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What did he mean by tempting God? What did he mean by that? Well, do you know what it was the devil was asking him to do? Let's read it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou, thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, here's what the devil said. Throw yourself down from this high point of the temple and let God save you. And Jesus said, Nope, because you don't tempt God. So tempting God is you creating a situation that you expect God to bail you out of. So you find yourself alone with a member of the opposite sex and all of a sudden you're saying, oh God, get me out of this. God, get me out of this. You should have never gotten there in the first place. You threw yourself into that. Now get yourself out of it. When you are around members of the opposite sex, keep conversations directed to proper decorum. There are some things that don't need to be discussed even in mixed, I mean, even, don't need to be discussed in mixed company even if everyone there is married. Let me say that again because I totally messed it up. There are some things that don't need to be talked about in mixed company, even if everybody's married. You just don't discuss those things. You need to, and, and my time is up, and I'm, oh Lord, I'm not going to get, I'm going to get through one of these principles, and I have several of them, so we'll pick up again next week, Lord willing. But I've made quite a bit of progress here. Uh, in these notes. So we may actually finish next week, perhaps. Um, you should refrain from pats and hugs with members of the opposite sex. Now again, you may mean well. You may have the best intentions. But that doesn't mean the other person has the best intentions. And I'm just telling you, Sometimes even, even a lingering handshake can send mixed messages. I'm not saying don't shake hands, but I'm saying you can hold on for a little bit too long. Let me, let me give you a scripture here, and I'm, I, I think this is going to be the last one we do tonight, and I'm going to have to stop. Here tonight, but but First Corinthians chapter seven verse one. Let me let me give you a scripture here. 
The Apostle Paul is writing, and here's what he says. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now you want to know something really profound? Get ready for this. Buckle your seatbelts. This word touch in the original Greek means, are you ready? It means touch. That's what it means. So when Paul said it's good for you not to touch a member of the opposite sex, he meant exactly that. He wasn't saying anything beyond. He's not saying, I don't, you know, don't get in these deep emotional hugs and don't. No. He's saying it's better if you just don't even touch them. Yes. Good rule. You know, Adam was told by God, don't eat this fruit. But when he passed the rule on to Eve, he said, don't touch this fruit. Right. Because he knew they'd never eat it if they didn't touch it. So I'm telling you, God says, don't commit this sexual sin. The best way you can avoid it, don't touch. If you'll follow that rule, you won't have a problem. Right. Good stuff. Look, even, even, and, and musicians, I have no idea what in the world you're going to play tonight. I, I, poor Sister Tori, I am really... Um, I don't think I don't think I keep falling in love with him or um, no, I don't yeah I don't think he touched me would be good right now that's Jesus forgive brother Nelson I just You're dismissed. <laughs> oh, help us, Jesus. All right, let me get back to something serious here real quick. Because I, I, I'm not quite finished with Personal principle number one, which is established principles that will govern your life. Um, look, even when you're praying with somebody around the altar, first of all, the ministry will perform the laying on of hands. And then it will only be a hand on their head. Um... So don't, just, just don't touch. <laughs> and, and then let me say this. If you're married and you want to compliment a member of the opposite sex in any way that has to do with their appearance, do that through your spouse. Let them take the compliment to that person. 
Now, this is just common sense stuff, but it's sometimes common sense we fail to avail ourselves of. Don't be flirtatious. Because I'm going to tell you, somebody will take you up on your folly. All right. I'm not moving any further. I'm going to stop right there, and I will make note of where we were. And Lord willing, next week we'll come back. We're going to continue on this subject because I believe it is an extremely important subject. Something that we all need to be aware of in our lives. Because how can we protect ourselves if we don't know what we're fighting? And so may God help us to keep ourselves pure, holy, and clean at all times and in all ways. Let's stand, lift our hands to the Lord, everybody. Let's talk to the Lord together. Let's talk to Him. Let's talk to Him. Let's talk to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I just realized I only have five scriptures left. If you can give me ten minutes, I think I can finish this. I'll do it fast. Can we do that? Just real quick. Be seated. Let me give let me let me just go through this very quickly here. Let's 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 go through it. I didn't realize I was that close to the end, but there's there's not enough to take a whole week next week on. So let me do this very quickly. So, so number two, you need to be aware that your biggest enemy is your ego. Proverbs 2, verse 16. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, which flattereth which, with her words. Which does what? Flattereth. She flatters with her words. Proverbs 7, verse 5. That they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger, which flattereth with her words. She flattereth with her words. Listen, it is no coincidence that God's infallible word says that someone with a spirit of immorality is a flatterer. Because I'm going to tell you, they're going to play on your ego. And sometimes this is not only in areas of, of pride, but sometimes in areas of inferiority. Because somebody thinks, well, I'm no good, I'm nothing. And somebody comes along and starts flattering you. You become extremely vulnerable. Beware of those who appeal to your ego in any way or take it on themselves to try to meet emotional needs that were meant only for God or your spouse to meet. Beware of anyone that would offer comfort or understanding to you, listen to this, by berating or slandering your spouse. Oh, I understand how you feel. I can't believe she treats you that way. I can't believe he would talk to you like that. 
Doesn't matter how subtle it seems. In fact, I heard Brother Larry Booker say this one time. He said, trust only your mother to not have a seductive motive up her sleeve. Beware of any selfishness that you have in you and do your best to kill it. Because I'm going to tell you almost all, if not all, moral sin stems from a root of selfishness. I want what I want, no matter who it hurts. Number three. And I'm, trying, I'm going through this fast. Number three, surround yourself with good friends. And the key word here is good. Good friends are those that inspire you to do good. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. All right, let me read this to you from the Bible in basic English. Don't be tricked by false words. Evil company does damage to good behavior. The English Standard Version translates it this way. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The common English Version reads, Don't fool yourselves. Bad friends will destroy you. So choose good friends. Spend time with people that inspire you to do good. Amnon committed sin because of a friend he had. That's what the Bible says. He had a friend, and his friend talked him into doing what he did. Look it up. It's in your Bible. Number four, establish the fact that your pastor or your pastor's wife is your only faithful confidant. Don't discuss deep marital problems with somebody else in the church. You're having problems with your spouse. Don't go tell anybody else. Trust only your pastor or your pastor's wife. Nobody else in the church needs to know that. They don't need to know it. Now, the first inclination of a man is to try to struggle through alone because he feels ashamed at disclosing this type of trial. But listen, don't let the devil trick you that way and feel like you can't confide in your pastor. The devil loves to work in the realm of darkness, confusion, and condemnation. The best thing you can do is be honest with your pastor or for a woman with your pastor's wife. I'm struggling. In this area. Help me pray. And let me just say this. And I really am. I'm coming to a close. If you are taken into the confidence of a struggling brother. If somebody has already told you they're struggling. And you break that trust. With a loose gossipy tongue. Hear me. You are not worthy of the title Christian. But I do want to clarify this. To go tell your pastor is not gossip. Gossip is when you're telling someone who can't fix the problem. 
to confide in your pastor that somebody is having a problem is not gossip. 1 Corinthians 1.11, this is my next to the last scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Paul was an extremely spiritual man, God giving him revelations, giving him visions, showing him things, revealing him thing, revealing things to him in the Holy Ghost. But yet here was a problem in the church that he said, I'm going to tell you now how I know about it. Chloe and her family came and told me. Now, how do you think she felt when that letter was read to the church? I imagine all eyes were on Chloe right then. You rat. (laughs) You stool pigeon. But my point is this. God didn't reveal everything to Paul. Chloe saw something. And she knew she needed to take it to the spiritual authority. And I'm going to tell you, you can do great damage by knowing something's going on and not going to the spiritual authority with it. Oh, but they told me in confidence. I understand. But you've got to protect them. And protecting them is not necessarily keeping it quiet if they are destroying themselves. They need help. Don't go tell somebody else. But do tell the one that can help. All right? Number six is set your affections. This is the last scripture. I'm closing with this. Colossians 3 and 2. This is the last scripture. Set your affections on, uh, affection on things above, not on things on the earth. All right, listen. Here's what he says. Set your affection. What this tells me is you determine what your values are. You make up your mind what it is you're going to love, what it is you're going to pursue. You set your affections. And in this matter of morality, we've got to learn to set our affections on the right things. Now, let's stand. Lift our hands one more time. I did it in 10 minutes. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to him right now. Praise God. Come on, let's talk to him.